1: Hi guys, Hi. welcome back to another episode of Unfollowing Mum. I am really excited to have a guest with me today. I am going to be speaking to Ben Cole-Edwards. Many of you might have come across his work over on TikTok. Um, ben runs the Trauma Corner over there and I love what he does talking. Well, say I love what he does. We've just discussed this before we started recording. <laughs> Actually, if you love it, you're kind of... It's We're really sorry to hear that you love it, but equally welcome to the community. Um, but he talks a lot about narcissism, toxic parents and people who have had that traumatic experience and moving through it. And I just find it so relatable, which sucks, but something that is really healing to know that there is a community out there and it's not an experience that I have gone through on my own, which is what I set this up for. So welcome Ben. Thank you again.
2: Thank you for having me. Uh, you just say uh, not to introduce myself there. Uh... You're just saying that it's it sucks when it's relatable what I talk about and um, what we talk about and it is. And this week, um, I was buying a greenhouse and the woman stood next to me. would kept like looking at me, and then she went, "Oh my god, you want TikTok?" And I turned bright red, and I was like, "Yeah." So, and it's not as if I'm like doing something like I'm not a musician. I'm just talking about a bad childhood. And she was like, "You want TikTok?" And I was like, "Yeah." And she said, oh, "I love your videos," and I was like, "Sorry." <laughs> uh, she was like I can relate to her. my parents I was like oh yeah <laughs> don't know what to say uh so yeah I'm Ben Cole Edwards and I run Trauma Corner is, that's on that TikTok mm-hmm. so this started I basically talk about what I went through as a child and my upbringing how I do it differently now as a parent and it started in I made. I created the TikTok account in January and I called it something like parent in one to three because I wanted to talk about parenting and any parenting advice I had. So I started by uploading videos that I had saved in my phone of my kids or of us on holiday, for example, and writing over the video. Like, you can take your kids on holiday, even though they won't remember, and it'll teach them this and things like that. And then I started talking about, and I didn't, it wasn't even intentional. I started mentioning my upbringing. And I was talking about having emotionally unavailable or emotionally mature parents. Hmm. And I mentioned certain things, which was, taboo where i'd say um if you had an emotionally unavailable or emotionally mature parent they'd say things like um do you know how easy it'd be this is my own experience do you know how easy it'd be to throw myself in front of a car on the way to mm. work and i just mentioned that i was I was kind of scared to mention it but I, that wasn't really what the video was about mm. we just sort of added that as a side note and so many people commented mm. saying oh shit me too and i was like oh Oh, okay. So I started talking about it more. And then in February, I proposed up saying um, thank you so much for a thousand followers. Um, Thank you. I'm sorry that you can relate, but I will keep doing videos to show you that you're not on your own. Um, And then I think it's like 170 something thousand followers now, which I'm super, super blessed and grateful for. But how shit is it Mm -hmm. that so many people can relate to what we went through? But it's like, like you said, it's good to have this healing community where and the people commented and helped me. Um, mm. but it's good to have this community where we understand that it wasn't just us and the environments that we grew up in weren't normal but we were conditioned to believe that they were normal because our parents said things like those kids over there have it worse or mm. I sacrificed much for you and when we're kids we just have no right to question if our parents are right or wrong so when they say things like I'm a great mother, you should respect me we think you're a great mother, I will respect you
1: <laughs> and, Yeah.
2: what so they condition you to believe and then when you're an adult and people are like Oh, you only had one meal a day? I'm like, what do what do you mean? What what do you mean? <laughs> I, I yeah. used to have this friend that, and I'm rambling here, but I used to have this friend that, um, like some summers I would sleep over his house, he'd sleep over mine, I sleep over his, sleep. and it gets to like six, seven o'clock in the night, and he like he's like Ben, can we um can we have something to eat?
0: Mm.
2: And I'm like why? And in my head I'm like oh you're so fat, you're so greedy. Yeah. But it was because I wasn't used to eating again. <laughs> mm. I would have food in the middle of the day, and then and that was it. Um, and then my mother would call me, my mother would make fun of me for being skinny, um but underfeed me <laughs> and then shout to me if I had more food so. Oh, it's nuts. I know I just tried to introduce myself and then went off on one. But yeah, <laughs>
1: no, I, th- I think that I love that because that is it's the relatability of it. There will be so many people out there that are like, shit, yeah, that was my experience. And when I talk about experiences that I've had personally, I think that is when we find the most powerful moments. Because it's so easy to talk about it from, and I've, I've spoken to countless psychologists, psychotherapists, I know you're a certified life coach, all these professionals who work with clients, but perhaps haven't experienced that themselves or aren't sharing it from their perspective and as much as that professional is extremely valuable extremely helpful when you are actually talking about the lived experience it's like a eureka moment because when I hear you talking about things I'm like yeah no no I remember that you said about your mum saying I could just throw myself under a bus do you know how easy that would be I remember my mum telling me stories of how she was so depressed when she was young, when she My my parents first separated that she would drink in the morning and I remember in passing, because it's so normalized in your head, saying to a friend oh yeah no I remember my mum had said to me once that she'd been into the bank and I was only maybe well hmm, I probably have been about 10 or well, maybe a bit younger, maybe nine or eight. And I'm just chattering away, telling my friend. And she said, oh, yeah, I, I went into the bank and I told the bank manager that I was thinking about killing myself, but I'd have to kill you too because I couldn't leave you. Nobody would be there to love you the way I do. Yeah. And my friend just looked and went, she said what? And I was like, well, she was going through a really hard time and started excusing it. And she was yeah. like, that is many levels are fucked up and what's worse is the fact that you nobody flagged it and nobody came to help like I'm so sorry you experienced that and I was quite shocked and I'll do these things where I'll say to my husband something that I'm talking about in conversation or in passing like it's not a big deal and actually it's really bad Yeah, it's so normalized in your head. So when you hear other people talking about it and saying, actually, I've come to realize this was really fucked up. Have you come to realize it was really fucked up and how can we not do this with our kids? I think it's
2: really powerful. I've had had family members since I've, because obviously since I started making these TikTok videos, um, I've had family members say, oh, I wish you would come to me or why didn't you tell me this was happening? But you were conditioned to believe that's normality. Mm -hmm. and you don't know anything different and I just want to touch on when you were saying that uh, these professions talking to people and I had my life coaching qualification means nothing I I paid like 25 pound and done an online course like two or three years ago um, just so I'd look better having that title but everything I speak about is experience whereas and again like you said not knocking any professions but a lot of the time my clients will say that when they go to certain professions I'll say that the advice they get is being recited from a book yeah. And it's sort of like they're being put into a box, like you fit this category. Whereas but well, people speak to me and you and they say, I went through this and you're like, Yeah, me too. Here's yeah. how we use how we overcome it. And when I was just saying about my mother there, when I when I created the account, I didn't put my name on it, didn't sync my contacts, didn't link it to my socials because part of me again didn't want to hurt your feelings. Mm. So I and I, I think half of my followers are in America. So no one knows her anyway. I never mentioned her name. We have different surnames anyway. Um, and then one day my next door neighbor's son came out of the house and he was like, oh, me, my, me, my missus been watching your videos. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> I had no idea. I've never used TikTok. I didn't know that, like, the algorithm works. Sometimes it just comes up locally and people mm-hmm. who live locally local tea will come up. and um, And then people in my area were following and calmed in and joining the lies. And I was like, oh, shit. And my mother was still coming back and phone my house. And then um, I had a phone call off her. I'm just letting you know, I've seen your videos of you slagging me off. That's it. Now we're done. And then that was two months ago. I haven't heard of her since. She hasn't asked about her grandkids. Um, The only only sort of contact I've had is when she phoned the police because my TikToks were causing her distress. Um, So they had to ring me So. Hey ho! <laughs> Do you
1: know? I find because we we had a it was totally different. We had a different encounter with police, and I wonder if anybody listening has had similar experiences when they've had to deal with the police because of an abusive or toxic parent. Because in our situation, my mum was actually showing up at my eldest's school. After Well, it was all their school because they were all at primary school at the time, but she was showing up specifically to speak to him as he'd walked down the hill after school. And this was shortly after our estrangement. So... For context, for anyone listening who doesn't know and for yourself, but my mum lived with us, we built her an annex, and I had to ask her to leave because it became so toxic, offered to make sure that she would be able to afford a house, all of the rest of it, buy all that for her. And she went through legal proceedings to try and dig her heels in and stay, even though she declared many a time how unhappy she was living there. She just wanted the control over me and over our relationship. And... That was the last straw, really. That was when we cut contact. And that was about three years ago. And I can say my life is so much happier and calmer without her in it. Like she did a real number on my relationship, on my relationship with my kids, on my kids. And she really zoned in on my eldest. So after she'd showed up at school and she'd enlisted the help of another grandparent to arrange a secret meeting with my eldest, who was nine at the time. Wow. And she told him, do not tell mummy and daddy, I will be here again tomorrow and I will be able to see you I miss you and I love you and they're keeping me from you. And she'd sort of beckoned him across the road to come to the car and all sorts. So we ended up calling the police because obviously. That's not going to fly. It's, yeah. it's harassment for one, but also it scared the living shit out of him. And for him to be nine and usher his brother and sister to the opposite side of the road because he didn't want them to be frightened. That speaks volumes of how he felt in that situation and is really sad and toxic. And my experience with the police was for a start, it was very lackadaisical. No child had actually been kidnapped and I appreciate they've got lots of very important things to deal with. So they weren't particularly speedy about it, but hey, they're understaffed. I get that. However, when they did eventually get round to going and speaking to her about three weeks later, they came back to us and said, look, she looks like a really nice old lady. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you knew where it was going, didn't you? Let's be honest. Um, But it it baffled me. is
2: a very good of... of Telling new people who they want to be I'm yes. putting this mask on. So like when the police officer, I'm laughing, the police officer rang me and he said, look, I can't make you take these videos down. Um, But it's obviously causing you a lot of distress. And when you're older, your feelings are going to change. <laughs> I'm like, you don't know her. <laughs> uh-huh. That's not how it works. It's but because they, our parents teach us that um, they live perception first. So. When you're in the house, there is no real relationship. You don't feel like parents. They just feel like blood relatives that live with you. And then when you're out, they, they think they're the best parents. And they tell other people how proud of you they are. And it doesn't make sense because they're not like that at home. Yeah. So they're very, very good that as soon as they open the door, they think, what mask should I put on today? Mm. I'd be the best mother Awesome. And then when they go to the when the police went to your mother's house and she's like, I just want to see my kids. They kicked me out of her house. Yeah. I've sacrificed for them. And the is like, oh, I can feel bad for
1: Yeah, that's exactly what happens. And I feel like I've experienced talking about it online, there is this real defensiveness over parents, regardless of whether they're strangers or not. Because let's be completely frank, you've got kids, I've got kids. We all know it's really hard. It can be really tough at times. It can be draining. And especially if you don't have that blueprint of healthy parenting, my God, can it be a challenge? And every so often I will be like, shit, I have popped up as my mom there. I'm going to have to build a repair with my kids here because that wasn't acceptable behavior. Or I need to think about how I acted and have a conversation with them about why that triggered me so much. And obviously in an age-appropriate way, I'm not sitting a five-year-old down and being like, darling, this triggered me. But I think it's really important to look at how society excuses, especially older parents for their behavior. And you know, if you were to talk about some of the things that you have experienced in the context of a uh, spousal relationship, you would talk about it in the context of friendship, even potentially in the context of siblings it would be oh my goodness don't have contact with that person that's terrible you should protect yourself from that you deserve better but when it's a parent and oh, we well, only it's get one mom. mom it's yes. your mum. you only get yes. one mum. people and... who
2: say people who say you've only got one mum have never experienced it so yes. they see it as disrespect or strange they're like, yeah. how can you treat your mother like that? But no one questions how they could treat you like that. So I put these right. videos up, right? Sorry to cut you off there. No. I put in videos up to say, this is what I went through and um, every kind of bad relation, uh, every kind of bad behavior under the sun from a parent. But then my family member saw this and sent them to my mother and said they were disgusted with me, not disgusted with the behavior or how my mother didn't let me go to Disneyland the day before because someone on the same bus was dating my father. I'm mm. supposed to go with my grandmother. Oh, Not no. the toxic behavior. And then my 99% of my, my mother's side of the family don't speak to me now mm. because of the videos without without watching them, without questioning what they're about and without coming to me either. So especially when there's so many narcissists in one family, they, sort of ha- they are happy to all point the finger at the same person and say, mm. any issue we have is because of you. And we are happy now because you made us unhappy. So they can gang up and triangulate with each other.
1: Yeah, and you very much become the scapegoat. And what I find is that the person who is the scapegoat, everyone else will quite happily pile on to them because you need to stay in that either invisible or golden role. And you see it all the time amongst siblings. And my mum tried very much to do it with my children, where one child would be out of favour and that one, I have three. And it would be, oh, well, we don't like that one today. And I'm an only child. So growing up as an only child, I was very much... I fitted into the different roles that she needed dependent on whatever she wanted, how compliant I was or any of these things. And it's really difficult to be that scapegoat, to be the one that speaks out and goes, actually, do you know what? This wasn't acceptable. This wasn't acceptable on any, any level. And I think what's what really baffles me is that the people that I speak to, the only thing that any of them have ever wanted is a bit of accountability for the behavior, a bit of, I'm really sorry that that was the way that I behaved. Actually, I was in a really bad place. And that doesn't excuse it. I wasn't the mother that you needed. I wasn't the mother that I should have been. And I certainly wasn't the mother that I wanted to be. But, you know, I, I see how this has hurt you. And I'm going to do better now and let's repair this relationship because I've definitely got to take some of the fault here, if not all of it. And the majority of it, you know, you were a child That's and I no, you know, and it just doesn't That's happen. And this is what baffles me, because if my kids came to me and said, mommy, what you've done that even at this small age has really upset me at minimum, even if, you know, it, it might be over a chocolate biscuit. But at minimum, I yeah. validate them and say to them, I get that you're really frustrated there. However, this is why, and give them an explanation. I sit with adult behavior. But when you have an emotionally immature parent, it's physically impossible. And if you have a narcissistic uh, parent, it's just never going to happen because the thought of them being accountable for anything is just outlandish.
2: I think what happens is, and again, loads of people say, they comment, not just on my videos, but everywhere else, is how do I deal with being um, the black sheep in a toxic family? Mm. And that sentence alone is a compliment. To have a toxic family and being the black sheep, the one that sticks out of a toxic family Mm -hmm. is a compliment. Yes. That's the best thing your parents have ever told you. Um, But I think what happens with like narcissistic parents is, because a a lot of them are just like 15-year-old girls living in 60-year-old bodies. Because Mm -hmm. when they have this one event that should force them to mature and to grow, instead they put a wall up and say, I am the victim. Mm. And now because everything I do now has an excuse because of this one event. So when, so if you had a bad mother and she would say, I am the way I am because I had a bad mother, which means that your mother and you both have an an awareness of what bad parenting is, but you choose to act on it and your mother does not. Your mother, uh, loads of people's mothers and fathers, of course, will say, because of that event, I do this or and, like, what happens is, I know you, I noticed you do it too, but you, used, you had an awareness of it. Is our parents condition us in childhood to make excuses for them? Mm. So, like, you just said when you spoke to your friend about your mother going to the bank, you said, Yeah, but she was going through a bad time, mm. Mm. which doesn't excuse it. But because we are so used to our parents making excuses, we make them too.
1: Yeah. And you're raised to believe that you should be almost like a defender, or I certainly was anyway. And there was always this, even now, and I work on this when I do do therapy, even now there is almost this sense of betrayal. And you said it yourself then with, I didn't put my name out there. I didn't do this because I didn't want to hurt her. Yeah, And there's that sense that you are supposed to protect them, you are supposed to defend them. And we've spoken to people before on the podcast, who have had alcoholic parents, who've had physically abusive parents as well, who've had parents who are abusing drugs, and every time they've said the same thing. Well, I didn't tell anyone, because I didn't want to get them into trouble. I didn't tell anyone, because I had to protect them. I didn't talk about how bad it was, because I knew if I did, that maybe she'd get into trouble, he'd get into trouble. I'd be taken away. It's that conditioning of we have to protect them. We have to be on their side. And for me, it was very much just me and my mum against my dad who had moved out. And it was a real sense of companionship and enmeshment. Enmeshment is a better word for it, which was really difficult. Was For for you, was it just you and your mum or was it you, your mum and your dad? Do you have any siblings?
2: My my father left when I was two. He was... 18 when I was conceived he left when I was two um I'd see him like once a year but he was alcoholic and I had a, I had a better relationship with him when I was from about 18 so I remember he came to see me once and I think I was 17 and he said can I have a hug and I said no and I said and it was probably the first time I've spoken up because I was always afraid of my father and I said you weren't there when I needed you and now I don't need you mm-hmm. and then he romped off and then I, I saw him and I lived with him for a bit and we had a better relationship Um, and he passed away in 2020 so it was me and my mother and then um, she met another man and had my sister uh, when I was five and then they split up so it was me and my mother my sister my father went on to have another two kids with two different women so I got three siblings none of them were the same set of parents so we all have different experiences of the parents as well completely different again I, I relate to you where you said that when my father left and obviously moved out um, every, all the images I had of my father, mental images would be negative, mm. not because I remember them, but because my mother in, instilled them into my brain. This is what your father was like and all this. And after, and I remember once, because as a, especially as a boy, I craved a father-son relationship. So I remember texting him once and I said, if you stop drinking, can I come and live with you? And I I told my mother and I said, oh, daddy's texted me and said, if he stops drinking, can I go live with him? And then it was him, not me. And then she said, what did you say? And I was like, oh, I said, I think about it. Oh, she kicked off. After all, yeah. i sacrificed for you. And, but she didn't see as a child, just craving that father figure. So uh, what happens a lot, I'm not sure if it happened to you, but we attach ourselves to other parental figures. So male teachers, my friends' fathers, because I just wanted to be that perfect child to a father. I remember once I was in school and um, I was in year seven and my teacher, the same surname as me, and he said, "Oh, I'm the same age as your mother. Wow, I could be your father." And I was, "Don't do that. <laughs> Don't." Do that. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, you attacked yourself because, because we are conditioned to be people pleasers as well. Because our parents are only are only borderline nice to us when we're in their good books and doing mm-hmm. things to benefit them. And if we have problems or stress, we're just a fucking burden. Because we're a people pleaser, we try and please other people to live up and be the perfect child for them too. Yeah. Yeah, that's me. (laughs)
1: Yeah, no, I completely relate to that. I really do. I remember... And it's funny, actually, because for me, it almost wasn't the male teachers. I think, and I don't know, again, if this is because I'm a woman or girl at the time, I would crave a different kind of attention, I think, from male figures, which, and we're calling out the daddy issues. But I think that (laughs) for me, that would have been, especially in my teen years, that would have been the route that I would have taken there looking at older men as potential partners, which, you know, is really dangerous yeah. and really soul destroying for a young girl who's craving that male attention and looking for it in the wrong ways it opens you up to predators and it it was a really difficult situation to be in I actually I got married at 18 very much encouraged by my mother to a man who was 10 years my senior who had met me when I was 15 like this dude oh. used to pick me up from school and that, that, as a 34-year-old now, that is creepy on very many levels. Yeah. And yet it was the best thing in the world when I was growing up. But yeah. I very much feel like I latched on to female teachers and that kind of thing as that maternal figure and I would almost always have one or two that I would feel really close to and want to spend all my time with Uh, probably in the art department actually I think I've joked with somebody on here before that the majority of the kids that were traumatized did some form of art or graphic design or something along those lines it was where we you're nodding did you yes
2: I done acting (laughs) in uni there you go
1: there you go I'll tell you you all right
2: I was the only person in my entire year to do music, art and drama. <laughs> really?
1: Oh, goodness me. I think it's it's so funny how so many of us seem to have these correlations. And I don't know if it's just because we found empathy in those teachers that were perhaps, perhaps saw something oh, there yeah, that we needed.
2: Maybe, maybe that's the only subjects we could express ourselves in.
1: Mm, quite possibly. Like art, I really loved and I used to love. I remember being really fixated on... Um, Salvador Dali and surrealism and I loved it and actually looking at the psychology behind that that's a bit of escapism isn't it that's looking for something that's totally different and also surrealism could be quite dark in ways and you know I would be drawn to that so I think that's that's quite interesting. Looking at it from that point of view, I wonder how many of us actually truly do correlate to that. Um, I probably get an influx of messages after this episode goes out of people going, <laughs> "Me, it's me."
2: Um, when I done, um, I done acting in uni, and when you <laughs> you portray in a character, and you can be whoever the fuck you want to be, mm-hmm. you'll you'll get rid of your trauma, whatever's going on, and you go on stage and be whoever you want and just embody that person and forget about mm-hmm. everything else. Exactly. It's
1: it's. Sad in a way but it it was a release and I think what you crave when you have that toxic family and you're not getting that safety at home is that release and you're looking for it wherever you can find it which it is difficult for so many people and it's sad when you think about it but it, it I think any way in which you can find that release is helpful at that stage in your life at that stage in your life that's necessity so you mentioned that you are now estranged from your mum yes, and you don't have contact with her now. Have you found not having contact with her to be a weight off your shoulders or have you found that it's not it's been a complicated road?
2: So uh, my, my mother and I have never had the best relationship she's always felt like a troubled older sister and mm-hmm. um, where I live before I had kids I got a I just a nearly two and a half year old and a 10 month old. And she would park before I had kids she would park outside my house without, without an inch of exaggeration. She'd park outside my house, visit her mother who lives six doors that way, visit her sister who lives that way, get back in the car and drive off. And then when I had kids, she started coming in more. Mm. Um, but then in 2020, I went through a lot of trauma and then To overcome that, I went through a sort of spiritual awakening and had a greater awareness. So when I had kids, I was in a good frame of mind. Whereas just before, like when my wife was pregnant, I was not. So my mother would come here. And again, I would let her come here. I would not visit her. I would not go there. let her come in the house if she wanted to see the grandkids. Fine. She would never ask about me. And I made a point for, I think it was nearly two years straight. Every time her and her mother would come into the house, I would say, how are you? And she would answer, but not ask me.
0: Mm. I would make a point every
2: single time. And I would start speaking about things that I was doing about in my life. And she would look away and I would stop. Um, and then when I would see her grandparent in a way that she used the parent, I'd have to stop her. Mm. So she'd take my daughter's dolls and she'd say, this is mine, this is mine, to get my daughter to cry. And then she would give it back and she'd say, this is mine. Or my daughter loved playing with my, my sister. My sister's 22. Um, and then my mother would say, right, come on, we're going now. i call my sister. I'd be going now, even though they weren't. My, my daughter would be like, no, 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 no. Just to wind her up. And I was like, yeah, don't do that. That's emotional abuse. You're being nasty to her for your own entertainment. Don't do that. Um, So our relationship was never the best. And every time I'd get a text, are you in? I'd be like, right, we got to clean the house (laughs) because I'm going to get fucking judged. What are they going to say? I'm just going to be like a ball of tension waiting for her to say something. And a lot of times she would have a go at me and then act like nothing ever happened. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we've argued many, many times over the years. And not spoken in, in months. Um, but this time she found my videos and kept contact with me. And it was the first time she'd done it to me. And then I felt really strange because the idea of no contact is never seeing your parents again, as yeah. though they had died. Mm-hmm. So it feels like grief when you first stop speaking to a parent because you're like, what now? That's it. I have no parents. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, then my, and then my wife said to me, what are you missing out on? Mm. I was like, oh, yeah, shit, absolutely nothing because she was never there for me, never supportive, always waiting to pick out the bad things. So like, I have a, I won't get much into it. I have um an app based taxi business. It's like Uber where it's designed around the safety of women. And we do things there that like, we have um free period pads in the back of vehicles for women. And then I mentioned that my mother's like, that's a bad idea. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, fucking not. And I'm like, mm-hmm. if, you think it, if you think it is, give me reasons it's just negativity they just say things to hurt you yeah um so when when i first stopped the contact and she first stopped the contact um it felt strange for about two days and then it was tension because all my my entire family tree because i were in like a 10 minute drive um and then as time went on there was more peace because i knew that if i until the fucking police phoned me but i knew when family tried and call me out i was like if i've done one thing wrong tell me if I have exaggerated slightly or I've lied, tell me. If I've done one thing wrong, I will. Hold, I am mature enough to hold my hand up and say, I've done this wrong. I'm sorry. I will change, mm-hmm. which is my mother's
1: issue.
2: Yeah. They are always the victim and they've always had it worse. So a great example is one of the last arguments my mother and I had is, so 2020, I found my grandfather dead, who was like my father, and I was her father. And I had really bad flashbacks. And then five months later, when they stopped, my father died. And he was forty-four, had a heart attack, we weren't speaking, didn't tell him that we was having a baby. Um and then my mother phoned me screaming one day because I had got my father's father 20 pounds for his birthday, but my mother's mother 10 pound, like a week apart, right? Um she phoned me screaming, uh, you need to start respecting my parents, Ben, because I've only got one. I was like, um, that's the only thing we got in common, me too. What the fuck do you mean? Yeah. And then I was like have a good day and hang okay. up and then the next day she came in the house, didn't didn't even say a word she was just smiling and talking to my kids
1: mm-hmm. and I think
2: I think they do that because they have a, a moment of re- reflection maybe a fucking millisecond where they think oh, I shouldn't have said that I'll just pretend it didn't happen instead of apologizing
1: yeah, I so, sorry, I was just going to say that um, I um I read Danny Morrigan's book, which is very much aimed at daughters of narcissistic mothers. And I, I want to touch on that with you in a minute, because I think there's an awful lot more out there for daughters of narcissistic mothers than there is for sons of narcissistic mothers. But this book in particular, she talks about the narcissistic U-turn and how they will rage full narcissistic rage screaming shouting name calling some truly horrific things that they will come out with and then next minute best friend and my mum used to do that consistently so when I would get my mum when my mum would be really angry and I would get this narcissistic rage blow up two or three minutes later she would come through and, and do you want what do you want for dinner and it was so confusing and it's It's a tactic that is used because then if you do call them out on their rage, it's "Mm, what are you talking about? I'm not sulking. I'm not doing this. What uh, What are you talking about? You're just being dramatic. It wasn't that bad. I'm not angry now. You're carrying it on. And I used to get that so much from my mother of you're carrying it on. And just as if it had never happened, you know, it could be really spiteful and then as if it had never happened. And it's so discombobulating
2: sometimes they if they don't do that they will add silent treatment in the middle yes where they will self-reflect where they will scream at you and all these all these things they know will hurt you they will say even if it's not relevant to the argument mm-hmm.
0: they will use those
2: things then they will go silent treatment where they they want you to reflect on your behavior but deep down they're like oh, maybe i shouldn't have said that but fuck it i'm the victim
0: mm-hmm. then
2: they will change it and say what do you want for tea and the key word you said there was is confusing but it sticks with us because the one fucking role model in our life, sorry for swearing, the one role model in our life that is supposed to teach us how to regulate our emotions, how to navigate through our feelings, are confusing us. And again, when we're children, we can't question if our parents are right or wrong. We have to be mm-hmm. right. And that's that's the way. So we just yeah. absorb it. And then we, when we're adults, when we again through relationships we are confused how to talk through emotions because our parents taught us we not how not to.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's completely that. And you mentioned the silent treatment there. Silent treatment for me is actually one of the biggest punishments because when I really made my mum angry, we would have the narcissistic rage. And then I could almost handle if she just flipped it off and I could almost rationalise the mum. Oh, right. OK, she's just really cool. She just doesn't sulk. But when she was really, really, really angry, especially if it was something involving my dad, there could be days of hardly being spoken to at all. And she used to come out with a really nice phrase of that's it. That's me and you done. But I would be maybe like four. (laughs) And I look at my little children now and think I can't imagine saying to them, that's it that's me and you done, and frightening them. And not only that, they have two parents who love them very much. I had one and one who was completely absent and one who was quite neglectful. And then I had my mother who was turning around to me and saying, that's it, that's me and you, done. I mean, that is so cruel to do to a child in that position who's already been abandoned by one parent. It's almost like threatening to them. We've stepped out of line a bit too much this time. So, And we're not talking about a teenager who's stropped or anything like that, although it certainly carried on through those years. This was a very, very young child who would just not be spoken to for a couple of days from their only caregiver. And it just is so... Baffling to me. And I think perhaps she did reflect in that time. But again, it's as you say, it's, oh, well, never mind. I'm the victim. Yeah. I'm the victim. And when
2: we have the silent treatment, it's a lot of time when you're an adult and you're in a relationship and your partner gives you a silent treatment, even if they are in the wrong, you have to apologize mm. or you have to make up because of that tension silent treatment brings, reminds you of your childhood. And it's awful. And again, like you said, that you was four and you couldn't imagine doing that to your kids a lot of time we think we're healed and we still think our childhood is normal because we locked it away. And then we have kids and then we have moments like that and we think, oh, shit. It, <laughs> it lets our childhood trauma resurface. Oh, like yeah. You, you hold a baby, and you think, how did my parents do this? And like, for example, I, I'm, like, I'm not making excuses, but my father had his issues. He was 19 and he was alcoholic. So when he left, I was my daughter's age. And I I could probably cry if I think about it too much, imagining how my daughter would feel Seeing me and experiencing me every single day to so then nothing. Yeah. How confusing is that stripping one of your parents away from a child and that's it? My father just walked out. Mm. Which is baffling. Um so yeah, it's a lot of time it takes becoming a parent yourself to look back at your childhood and think, how the fuck did I was I put through that?
1: It does. And there is so much childhood trauma that resurfaces when you become a parent because things that you've otherwise passed off. And if you hear people talk about their experience, you're like, God, that was awful. But you're literally saying the same things and we'll think, oh, yeah, but she had. Oh, yeah, but they did. And you'll make excuses for them or you'll say, oh, well, I was naughty. You'll internalize it just like that child did all those years ago. But it takes sometimes becoming a parent and wanting to change that childhood trauma or wanting to work on that childhood trauma so that you don't repeat the cycle for your own children. And that really was the big clincher for me to start seeing how toxic my mother was, was when I started having children and started thinking, oh, God, I just wouldn't do this to them. Actually, I wouldn't have done that to them. And I'm not going to let you do that to them. And it's funny you mentioned seeing your mum do things to your daughter that you remember being upsetting for you. I saw how my mum was reacting with my eldest child and was like, no, I'm not having that. No, I don't like that.
2: And I, Yeah, you should be be proud of that because the easy way out for you and I is being bad people and bad Mm -hmm. parents. And when our kids need therapy in 20 years, they will say, my mother's a bad mother, my father's a bad father, because their parents are a bad father. Um, uh, their parents are bad parents. But And no one tells you, but you should be proud of having the awareness and saying, I don't want my kids to go through what I went through. I'm not sure if you saw a video that I'd done just saying about um how childhood trauma resurfaces, where my daughter headbutted me on accident. She, like, jumped up on the sofa and fell into me.
1: Oh, and we've said, all been there.
2: <laughs> I said, oh, and she said, sorry, sorry, sorry. Mm-hmm. And I said, it was the first time she had apologized with intention. And as soon as, she sa- as soon as she said it, my heart just dropped. And I said to my wife, I hope she's not afraid of me. And she was like, why on earth would she be afraid of you? She's just said sorry, because she had better to do. But in my head, if I ever accidentally, in my past rather, if I ever accidentally hurt my parents, I would have to say sorry a thousand times and run away. Otherwise, I'm going to get hit. So I'd say, sorry, 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 and run. So as soon as my daughter hit me, I said, ow, ow, ow. And she said, sorry, sorry. I was like, ah, oh, she's waiting for me to shout to her, waiting for me to hit her, which I don't do. My wife was like, you've never hit her. Why is she going to be afraid of you? And it's just another thing where you think you're healed and it just pops back up.
1: Yeah. I don't think we're ever actually healed, job done tick, I think we will always and forever, and this goes for whether or not you've had that healthy dynamic, or whether or not you've had a traumatic experience. I think we will forever be working on those inner wounds, be it the inner child, be it our mother wound, father wound, I think we'll always work on those things that whether unintentionally in a perfectly healthy dynamic is just something that stuck with us, or whether fully intentionally in a toxic dynamic or unintentionally in a toxic dynamic, I guess, because I appreciate that it can be unintentional. um, But it's, it's something that I think we'll always work on. It's something that I think you're never just job done, tick. There will always be triggers that will remind you of something from your past. And there will always be something that pulls something up and makes you go, oh, hey, I don't want to repeat that cycle or I don't want to do that. I'm going to do this differently. And that's okay. That's not something to fear or to feel like you're failing if you don't feel like you're fully healed. And I think there is this misconception that you will be at some point just (laughs) job done, tick, complete it. And that's it. Yeah,
2: it's a continuous process.
1: It is. It's very much a continuous process. I did want to speak to you, and I've just touched on it briefly. The majority of people that I have had on this podcast have been women. And I do feel that they're smiling. <laughs> I do feel that there is far less men who talk about. Or perhaps acknowledge you might feel differently if you've worked with clients or yourself through your own experiences, their experience with a toxic mother, perhaps with a difficult father. And I use the word difficult because that's the one that I hear a lot of men will use or he was a bit of a dickhead or something along those lines. But there seems to be and I know there's a real stigma around male mental health. And I think there seems to be a real disparity between the information out there for daughters of narcissistic mothers and the information out there for sons of narcissistic mothers or toxic mothers or in toxic dynamics do you do you feel that's accurate?
2: 100% I think that if you're going to write a book about uh, narcissistic and toxic parents of children as well you would say daughters because that's the audience men are not going to read about it men are not going to Acknowledge that they need the help because, again, there's a stigma around it. I deal with clients every day and I've had, since I started doing this, um, three male clients. Um, And that that seems like a lot because I get a lot of messages saying I should speak up about this or I struggle to talk about it. Uh, Maybe I'll book a session in the future and I try and encourage them. Um, But men don't speak about it because in society, a lot of men act like cavemen where they say, we haven't got issues, we'll just fight through them and and be strong, and oh yeah, our mother, ta-ha. and we'll go to the pub and we'll just drink through our, our troubles, and we'll just watch sports and get drunk and forget about it, instead of talking about it, because they think that's weak, but talking real real strength is talking about what you're going through, to fix it, to be a better person, instead of saying, yeah, I had a bad upbringing, talk through it, you had a a manipulative upbringing because of this and it's affected you because of this talking about what we go through gives us strength to be better people and what men think is the opposite men think that putting on a purpose wall up and putting on a a fake brave face and saying that what happened to me doesn't affect me that's not strength 99% of the people I talk to are women because women are more open to talking about it I guess Um, which is why I guess I, I like talking about it because it It's breaking the stigma and just letting men know that it's okay to talk. It's more than okay to talk. It's what's needed. That's how we mature and just getting our words out there and getting our thoughts on paper.
1: It's really important, I think, and I, I've said a number of times that I I would love to speak to more men on this podcast, but I find it quite difficult to find men who do talk about childhood trauma, who yeah. do talk about the experiences they've had and how it affects them because I think it does affect men and women differently because we're in different cultural circumstances, or we're in different societal circumstances. As you say, mental health for men is very stigmatised still. It's why yeah. we have such high suicide rates. It's why we have so many problems. And it's really difficult to find men who are willing to open up and talk about their experiences, especially with a mother. And you, there's the kind of running stereotype of a, a, a mummy's boy. And yet there are so many men out there who that couldn't be further from the truth. Or they grew up being a mummy's boy as the the saying goes but actually what they were was enmeshed and emotionally abused
2: yeah they were just told that they were mummy's boys and believed it
1: yeah exactly and I actually get quite a lot of wives reaching out to me who say my husband is listening to the podcast my husband relates so much to the podcast and we discuss it privately because we have that open communication within our relationship and I just he said to me that it's okay to let you know that he's doing this or perhaps she hasn't spoken to him about it and it's I just wondered if you could have any men on the podcast. And it's like, oh, I would love to. But yeah. finding people who are opening up about childhood trauma and the childhood trauma that men face from narcissistic mothers is really challenging because there's not as much support out there.
2: A lot of, um, I, I put a video up to say that I'd had my first male client just to encourage more men to speak about it. Um, And you said about having a narcissistic mother and then people saying that their father would just dickhead for example mm. what i find a lot of the time is the father is just the enabler and whatever the mother does the father goes along with and i think it's for many reasons but a lot of the time it's because again where we go wrong as a society is we link age with maturity whereas age literally factually scientifically means however many times you've gone on the sun right mm. so i'm 27 all it means i've gone on the sun 27 times unless you think the earth's flat right so uh, what we have a lot of times our parents are boys and girls that haven't evolved and haven't matured and just their bodies grew and their minds didn't. So a lot of time we have men fathers who their wife does all the cooking and cleaning and washing um, and every single thing in the house. So they know that if they speak up against their wife, they're not going to get fed
0: Hmm.
2: because they've been mothered they've been babied by by their wives. So if, if their wife does something, to their their child that they doesn't agree with they're not going to say anything or they will if they do speak up they will say in private you know what she's like
1: yes oh yes the amount That's of people that say
2: that, like that. with you um but yeah they're just afraid because a, a lot of time it's especially this is um this is more true for like stepfathers where your mother's a narcissist emotionally unavailable and manipulative but when she meets this new person he believes that she mm. is this this fake face she's put on so he falls into it because he can't see through the bullshit like you can yeah so yeah
1: very much so and i speak to a lot of people who had perhaps one parent who was narcissistic and toxic and the other parent was the enabler yeah so common in that dynamic and there's almost that resentment of but why didn't you stand up for me like my I'm sure you do it with your partner and my my partner and I will sometimes step back to each other and be like hello red flag that wasn't cool that we've we've fucked up there that was you shouldn't have spoken to them like that I think you need to go and have a word or there'll be kind of that flag in the background that you're waving like calm down calm down I can see you're about yeah. to get really pissed off with them and you check each that's other Good
2: parenting and people yeah. you just think that's your normal style of parenting that's fucking really good parenting mm. and not many people parent like that do you so think like if I say no no not many people at all but you just think right I'm um, maybe you're trying I'm not trying to get in your head right maybe you're trying really hard to be the opposite of your mother oh, by yeah. thinking what you do when now was normal parenting but it's Fucking really good and i like to think i'm there too right so if i say something like um i'm trying to get my daughter I mean, my daughter wants to go to the park but we, she hasn't got her hair done or something i'll say you have to do this otherwise you can't do this which is bad parenting and my wife will go ah blackmailing are we <laughs> and we'll just drop little hints like that so we yeah. correct each other on our parenting and help each other be better parents whereas I used to work in, in a supermarket, right? And the amount of parenting I saw where mother, I remember one mother, she was like, just said to her two girls, just because I'm your mother doesn't mean I have to love you.
1: Oh. The parenting
2: the parenting style you and I use, and I'm guessing everyone listening uses because they're on the same path, um, is conscious and great parenting. And everyone should be proud of ourselves because your parents never told you that they were proud of you. And they would never tell you that you were a good parent because it would take away from what they were as a parent. So you should, I'm telling you, you should be proud of the way you parent, you and your husband, or partner, sorry if you're not married. You should be so proud of the way you're parenting because you're going to raise emotionally mature kids in the way that you wasn't raised.
1: Thank you. And to you. (laughs) And to you, I think Thank there you. is. It's really difficult to feel that self, that that sense of pride for yourself. I mean, my mum did use to say, "Oh, I think you're a brilliant mother," but it'd be coupled with a backhanded compliment, or it'd be coupled with, "I think you're a brilliant mother. I yes. just think you do this." So it was more covert
2: and more sneaky. So, yeah, and we um, we are homeschooling, so whenever we have. I, everything would be backhanded, right? And people would just be nasty just because we're homeschooling. I won't, mm-hmm. I won't get into too much. But like when I first introduced the idea to the family, and I was like, I'm going to homeschool." Many, many different reasons. And I said, "I think in about thirty or forty years, school will be obsolete." And a family member said, "Nothing's going to be obsolete." That—that that is the only. You'll be nasty, but you—you you don't know what you were saying. Nothing is going to be obsolete. Does not make sense. You're just be nasty because you don't agree with what I'm
1: saying. That is madness. Everything comes in in cycles, I think. And yeah, of course, there are going to be things that are obsolete. And I actually think that there will be massive changes within schooling systems and within how we school, how we teach children. We've seen that purely through the pandemic. My son's school is done almost 100% via technology. So he will, he has his iPad, most of his schoolwork's done on there five, 10 years ago, that was unheard of. It would all be pen and paper, sit down with your textbooks. So things do change and you are right. People will quite often just be nasty for the sake of being nasty. And that in itself, I think, is a sign of their own immaturity and their own insecurity. You have been so insightful. And I'm really, really grateful for you coming
2: onto the podcast to chat to us today. You. Can
1: you let people know where they can find you? And also, you have a book as well?
2: Of course, yeah. Again, thank you for having me. I just, I love speaking about and love helping. And thank you for allowing me here to speak to people, speak to you and speak to people listening. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, uh, TikTok's my main channel. Um, it's Ben Cole Edwards. Um uh, or just search Ben Traumacorner. And it's the same for YouTube and Instagram, which I've just started, both of those. Um I have a book. Which I have here. Uh, yeah. it's, called, it's called Fuck Your Eagle. Um, How to Appreciate Each Moment, Switch Off Autopilot and Question Reality Itself. I wrote this two years ago, and it's just about so like when you drive down a road and you get to the end, you think, oh shit, I can't remember driving down this road. Was that like even green? People live life like that. So the book is just little techniques on spirituality and mindset and how to question what you do every day just to live a better life be more present um yeah (laughs) brilliant that's
1: great thank you so much for coming on and guys thank you for listening i will speak to you again next week bye ever
0: catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me Palmer.